Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 26, 30 to 56, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against a robber 
with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Matthew 26, 36 to 56. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you. And I've been asked to pray, which we do once a month in our region now for areas around the globe. And this morning, before I begin the message, we're going to pray for our churches in Australia. We're also going to pray for David and Chris in Bolivia as he has the opportunity to be ordained today. So it's wonderful. And these, that's just such a testimony of this church and your desire to reach out around the world with the gospel. So let's bow our heads and pray and pray for the churches in Australia and also in Bolivia. Father, it's such a joy to be with this church this morning. Lord, we together in Franklin with them, Lord, want to gather and pray for our brothers and sisters in Australia. Lord, we want to pray for the pastors and planters academy that is taking place in that country and through sovereign grace, Lord, to raise up church planters and pastors. And Lord, we pray for the men who are being raised up there this year, and we pray for wisdom church plants for that country. Father, we pray particularly for the areas where they are looking to plant churches, to give them wisdom, Lord, as they discern where you would have men to go and take your gospel and to build churches. Lord, we pray for Dave Taylor and the church in Sydney. Lord, we pray for their team as one of the members due to health reasons had to resign. Lord, they're short of pastors right now. Father, would you raise up men to join into that team to help them, Lord, to, to shepherd the flock there. We want to pray also for their local evangelistic efforts in that church and through that church. Lord, the beginning of an alpha course here this month at the end of April. Lord, we pray that many will be drawn to the Lord through that course. Lord, and as they reach out to folks, like Lord, might people respond, be a part of the alpha course. Lord, we want to pray for them for a facility to meet in one day that could be their own. Lord, we would pray specifically that over the next three to five years, Lord, you would help them to find an appropriate building that is affordable, Lord, in that expensive city. Lord, it would take your hand. It would take miraculous moving on your hand to do that. But, Lord, you are a miracle-working God. Lord, we want to pray to you provide for that church with a physical facility. Lord, we want to pray for Parramatta, Lord, for Raleigh Spring as pastor. Lord, we pray for them, Lord, to be able to use their there are new office spaces they have, Lord, to reach out with the people in that area. And Lord, we also want to pray that you will help them to repair that off, those offices from the recent rains that have taken place and flooded their offices, Father. Lord, we want to pray, Lord, that that church, as they have set a goal to share the gospel with at least one person, for each member of the church once a month, Lord, you will empower people and give them boldness to reach that goal. And more importantly, to reach those, Lord, whom you want them to, to turn to to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to pray for specifically for Richard Song and his family as he begins a full-time pastoral internship in that church. Lord, bless him and build him, Lord, we pray, and prepare him for the work that you would have him to do. And Lord, last but not least, Lord, we want to pray for David, Lord, and Chris, Lord, in Santa Cruz, today is a special day as David is being ordained. Lord, thank you for all that represents and for the investment that this church has made into that church in Bolivia. 
Lord, pour out a spirit of joy upon that church today, Lord, we pray. Might there be gladness. And Lord, fill Chris with your spirit as he leads that ordination today. Lord, thank you that you allow us, Lord, not only to be followers of yours, but Lord, also heralds of your gospel. And Lord, thank you for this church and their commitment to do that around the world. As their pastors are in various places, Lord, it speaks of your grace through this church. Bless them in every way, Lord, I pray. And help me as I preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank the lady who read that scripture and did such a great job. It's a long scripture to read today. And you might be wondering, why do we study and why do we study the, the Garden of Gethsemane, which is what we're going to look to, at today. And it's, and it's appropriate. It's two weeks before the resurrection. But why study the crucifixion and this familiar passage almost year after year? And I'm sure that just about everyone here could give an accurate account of Passion Week from the time that Jesus entered Jerusalem until he was crucified and rose from the dead. So why do we study particularly this section of Scripture? And why are we doing this today? Well, when I, when I grew up in a church, my parents are Christians. And the church that I grew up in, my dad and a number of other men became part of a men's chorus. And they would go around to various churches and sing. One of the songs they sang that I can remember, and I was probably five years old, I can remember one of the songs they sang, and all the men, the deep voices would sing. The title of the song was, We Have an Anchor. How many of you have ever heard of that song, We Have an Anchor? Probably not too many, but if, yeah, a few of the older folks remember that song. Well, here's how the verse verse goes, and it asks a question. Here it is, first verse. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife? When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm Remain, seafaring language, right? And then the answer to that question comes in the verse. And it's got several verses. And here, here's what I remember these men singing. We have an anchor that keeps the soul. Steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. The reality of it is, in this world, the storms of life come upon all of us, and sometimes to a level that we cannot explain. If we were to look the storms around us, we would say, where is God? As the times get darker, we would say, does he love me as his own? Because it sure seems like the evidence right now speaks against that truth. See, our faith is tested not in our creeds, but in our crises. Not in our creeds, but the crisis we face. Soul-crushing loss, heart-eroding adversity, acute or chronic suffering shreds our faith and fills our thoughts with two unrelenting questions. And here's the two questions. Number one, why? Why? I put my hope in you, Lord. Why, if you are good, as you say, and I'm a child of yours, then why? Why is this happening to me? And the second question that these times bring up, times of particularly of chronic suffering, the second question is this, how long? How long? If you're sovereign, as you say, then how long? 
And why doesn't this stop? How can I trust God when I don't understand what's taking place or what has taken place in my life? In my own life, I've had situations in the last five years that raised up both those questions. One is how long and the other is why. And here's the reality. You can't fake faith, right? You can't fake it. You can't fake trust. So the question we're going to look at today is how can I, I experience a vital living faith while walking in current darkness? How can I do that? And a living faith, having a faith that is vital comes down to answering in the affirmative two fundamental questions. Number one, is there a God? It's the first question. Is there a God? If I'm going to have faith, I got to be able to say, yes, I know there's a God. And the second question is this, can I trust him? Can I trust him? And I know that some have experienced these types of severe trials and troubles in your life. And I know some of you might be going through them right now that you're asking those questions. So this is why we study Passion Week. So your anchor holds to Christ in the storms of life to a love that will not fail. So you can truly say in your heart, I trust his heart even when I can't trace his hand. As Charles Spurgeon said, right? So you can say, I will trust his heart even when I cannot trace his hand. And this is the truth we're going to look at today. In the darkest hour, Jesus remained faithful. In the darkest hour. We're going to look at three things. Number one, Jesus knew. Number two, Jesus remained willing. And number three, Jesus obeyed fully. So Jesus knew, Jesus remained willing, and Jesus obeyed fully. Now, everything that we look at in this passage in Matthew 26 Jesus predicted and knew it was all going to take place. He had told his disciples, I'm going to be crucified. He told them several times. They didn't hear those words. Sometimes we don't hear things we need to hear. And the very last hours of Jesus' life have come. Over the next 18 hours, he's going to be betrayed, abandoned, arrested, falsely accused, beaten beyond recognition, mocked and scorned, and he will experience untold suffering and then death. And Jesus knew it was all coming. And he knew that's why he had been born. Jesus knows that the scriptures will be fulfilled. And he also knows the frailty of his closest disciples. These men who have been with him for three years. He knows their frailty in the most crucial moments of his life. And so he says, you will all fall away because of me this night. You will all fall away because of me this night. And then he quotes the verse from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. Strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And interestingly enough, if you go back in to Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, who is it that strikes the shepherd? It is God who strikes the shepherd. It's God in that verse who will strike the shepherd in judgment. And we know after Jesus rose from the dead, Peter stood before the crowds and said these words, this Jesus whom you delivered up was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus knew all this. When Jesus is struck, the followers will scatter. But not Peter. 
Peter's just sure. He's convinced. He's so sure of his own strength. He says, never. After all I've experienced, I've experienced with you, wasn't I the one that walked on water shortly for a short amount of time? Wasn't I the one? Never. After all I've seen, though everyone else might run, I will never forsake you. Even if I must die, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. That's what Peter said. And, and you notice after that, it says, and all the disciples said the same. So in one sense, he was just speaking for all the disciples. We will never fall away. But Jesus says, you will fall away because of me this very night before the rooster crows. Because Jesus knew their frailty and weakness as well. He knows what's taking place. He knows their frailties and weakness. It won't be their strength or their works or their faith or their efforts that will win in the end. <clears throat> it will be Christ and because of him alone. <clears throat> so he says, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. It's amazing. He knows what's going to take place, but he also knows that he will be raised from the dead, that he will meet them again. And Jesus knew that even as he entered that dark hour. He also knew that denial would not be the last word, not because of their strength again, but because of him. And this is what's comforting in our dark hours. Jesus, unlike us, sees clearly and completely in every situation. He knows it all. Now, Os Guinness, one of his books, talks about keyhole theology. Keyhole theology, in the, in the days of old, and some of the homes even now, have their doors were locked inside the house with keys, right? Skeleton key, put the key in. You want to be, have, have uh, privacy, you tuck the key in and you lock the door. When you took the key out, though, you could see through the keyhole. And in case law in the past, there's been times that people have been con convicted of crimes because someone, one of the help at a hotel or whatever, looked through the keyhole and saw what was going on when no one thought they were, no one else was looking. Someone looked through the keyhole and then testified in court what they saw through the keyhole. But unfortunately, when you look through a keyhole, you never see everything. You can see some, but you can't see everything, just a portion. And that's how it is always in our life. And particularly in the dark times, we see dimly through a glass. We see only through a keyhole. And that's how the disciples are looking right now. The only person who knew what was going on fully in this dark hour was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he knew everything. Our understanding is limited. His understanding is limitless. Jesus knew, only Jesus knew what was fully going to take place that night. And he understands fully what's taking place in your life right now. Even though it might seem to you looking through the keyhole, he's nowhere to be found. In that dark moment and in our darkness, he knows everything. Secondly, Jesus remained willing in that dark hour because the word endurance doesn't even come close to describing Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in this moment. Endurance is like, okay, he endured. Well, he much more 
then endured. <clears throat> we see Jesus overwhelmed. Did you notice that? He's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He says, sit here while I go over there and pray. He wants, he wants his disciples near him. James, John, Peter, come watch with me. And then he says this, my soul is sorrowful even to death. It's a little bit surprising because if you look at it just on a human level, there are many people who have faced death because of a cause, because of something they, wanted, they stood for. They're going to be executed, but they've stood there with, with fortitude and courage and with stoicism. They aren't, I mean, some people don't, but some people do. But if we read it, Jesus is sorrowful even to death because of what is about to take place. We read he falls on his face and prays desperately to the Father. We read in another gospel, he sweat drops of blood. Well, there's many who have been martyred that haven't experienced this length, this, this length and this depth of struggle and sorrow. But here's the reason why, and you know this. Jesus' death is no mere martyrdom. He's not about to die for a cause. His death will be once and for all as the sacrificial lamb of God who carries and takes upon himself, consider this, the sins of all who believe. Or another way to say it is the sins of the world. God's holy and just wrath will not cease being poured out upon Jesus for every sin, past, present, and future believer until those sins receive all the punishment they deserve. That's unbelievable, isn't it? I don't like to be blamed for anything that was somebody else's, much less punished for it unjustly. Jesus is going to be punished fully and completely for, the, for our sins. And this is why Jesus prayed in agony. And while he prayed, his closest disciples slept. Watch and pray, he told them, that you might not fall into temptation. Could you not watch one hour, he says. Then he says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But Jesus prays in agony to the very Father whose plan it was to punish him in our place. It's amazing. Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. If there is any other way, Father, to atone for sin, any other way, please, he drank the cup, taking the wrath of God on our behalf, diverting to himself the punishment for the sins you've committed already today or yesterday or last week or tomorrow if you're a Christian. He took all those sins. He diverted them to himself and prayed to the Father whose wrath would be poured out upon him and saying, if there's any other way, Father, let this cup pass 
Read in Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You hear that? Isn't that interesting? Not just our sins, our griefs and our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Father, Father, if possible, let this cup pass. But if not, Lord, I will drink it. Your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Isaiah 53 again. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. These are, these are profound words, are they not? God eternal, God the Father eternal, God the Son eternal. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, meaning the Father, has put him, meaning Christ, to grief. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Those great words. Those are great words. By his knowledge shall my righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. The song, my sin or the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, are what? Nailed to the cross and I what? Bear them no more. When Jesus returned from prayer, the disciples were once again sleeping. But through it all, through the darkest night of agony, Jesus alone remained faithful. The die was cast. There's no turning back. Take your rest later on, he tells his disciples. See the hours at hand. The Son of Man will be betrayed into the hand of sinners. Let us be going. The betrayer is at hand. Jesus embraced the cup we deserved in spite of the cost. And Jesus then obeys fully. Jesus identifies and betrays Jesus with a kiss. Peter's reaction is both immediate and violent. We'll have none of this. But Jesus fulfills his sacrificial role and obeys God's plan completely. Put away your sword, Peter, and listen to these words and consider these words afresh. Do you not know that I could appeal to my father and he would send me at once more than 12 legions of angels? I can appeal to my father. Jesus could have stopped it in a moment with a word. In a moment, I could appeal to my father and he will send me at once. I just say the word and he will send 12 legions of angels, which is probably around 60,000, 60 to 70,000 angels. And we know from the Old Testament that he didn't need 60 or 70,000 angels because in the Old Testament, some, most of the time it took one or two. I could appeal to my father, and in a moment he would stop everything. In one word, with one word, it has to be willingness, there's willingness on both sides. With one word, this charade would all be over. 
But Jesus allowed. Jesus allowed. And I do want you to notice this. This is a, this is a plan carried out and planned upon by both God the Father and God the Son. I mean, there's none of this, well, I, like, I don't like the God of the Old Testament, but I like the God of the New. No, this, this is God the Father, God the Son walking out this plan. And Jesus allows himself to be our sacrificial lamb. We study through the book of Matthew as a church. And right in the beginning, first chapter, we read these words in Matthew 121 regarding the birth of Jesus. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because... He will save his people from their sins. He knew. And in Matthew 21, Jesus said, 20 verse 21, Jesus himself says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's amazing, isn't it? The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus obeyed completely. Then in that dark hour, all the disciples fled. Everyone ran away. In the darkness, they all abandoned him, but he will not abandon them. He will not abandon you. They will not stand with him before mere men. Consider the irony. He, they will not stand with him before mere men, but he will stand in solidarity with, solidarity with them and carry their sins before a holy God. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It humbles all of us, doesn't it? What a faithful Savior. What a faithful Jesus. That's why you can trust him in the dark. I don't know your darkness. Maybe you don't have darkness right now. Praise God if you don't. But if you do, when everything around you, all the evidence outwardly says, he doesn't care. You can trust him. You can trust him in the dark situations of life. When prayers aren't answered right away. When painful, painful loss is inexplicable and unchangeable. When the loved one dies, when the dreams are shattered, you can trust him. Here's why. First, because Jesus knows fully and understands completely the circumstances and suffering we go through. He understands them. He's lived them. And he knows them because he doesn't have keyhole theology. He is the Savior of the world, the Son of God before all time. He sees and he knows. And then secondly, we can trust him because the most fundamental question is this. Has he shown himself trustworthy? I had a wonderful father. He's passed away a few years ago. Wonderful father. And I knew because of my history with him that he had proved himself trustworthy. And when situations and circumstances came up that I didn't understand, I knew I could trust him. Listen, when situations and circumstances happen in your life, and they will happen because the storms of life come upon us all, we can trust him. We can't see his heart right now. We can't trace his hand right now, but we know his heart because of what he has done for us. In the darkest hour, he is faithful. 
and he obeyed. In our darkest hour, Jesus alone was trustworthy and faithful 2,000 years ago. Before we were ever born, before we ever knew him, he was faithful for us. And in his darkest hour, Jesus laid down his life for me. And that's the reason I can trust him and have faith regardless of the circumstances. I may not understand why something is taking place in my right now, but I can understand fully why I trust him, why I will trust him when I can't see. For in that darkest hour, when all else were faithless, Jesus, my Savior and Lord, remained faithful. If we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now how much more will he save us? I wish we didn't live in this broken world, don't you? It makes us long for Jesus. I can't explain everything that happens to Christians in this world. I wish I could. It's better that I can't. The Lord tells me what I need to know. And I know that I can trust him. And I know in the end, in the same way he's forgiven me my sins, he will make everything right. Right.